Thank you all. Um, the only thing I'm missing, can, where, where is the pulpit? Um, I'm just kidding. I know you guys don't have a pulpit here at West, and I'm also relieved that I can remove this robe and put that back somewhere here. And you can bring that out whenever, Scott. Um, it is good to be with you all this morning. Um, I first want to say a little bit about who I am on a more personal level. Um, my name is Daniel Wilson. I serve as a United Methodist pastor on staff at Central United Methodist in downtown Concord. And for the last number of years, I have been a huge friend, advocate, um, and supporter of West. Um, I have had the opportunity to serve with your wonderful pastor on many conference uh, planning committees and uh, a number of different events. And, and through her, I feel like I know you all. And um, I am just, um, I, I am humbled by your heart and your passion and your enthusiasm. And I am glad to be here with you this morning. We have tried a number of times to make this happen, and it never really seemed to work with my schedule at Central. Um, so today it worked, and this will be fun. I didn't mean to scare you uh, with the robe and, and a bicycle on stage. I promise it has a point. Um, very quickly, let me introduce to you um, on a very informal, very personal level who I am before we jump into my call story and uh, ultimately the sermon for today. Um, I am, first and foremost, a pastor. I think we have a picture of me doing something kind of pastoral. Um, yeah, so this was from a wedding recently. Um, I preach, I do weddings, I do funerals, all those normal things that a pastor would do. More specifically, at Central, I am the online campus pastor. Now, what on earth does it mean to be an online campus pastor? I have no idea either. What I do know is I have the privilege and the opportunity to take what we do in the physical presence um, and translate that into content for an online audience. And it is one of the most fulfilling, wonderful, beautiful, frustrating things that I have ever uh, set forth to accomplish. Um, when I am not doing churchy things, um, I enjoy to cook a little bit. I have to cook. Um, I think we have a picture of a latest dish. Um, if that makes you hungry and you want to pack up and leave now, um, that's okay. I understand that was my fault, and you can catch the sermon uh, online later, and that'll be okay. Um, in all seriousness, one of the things that I spend quite a bit of my free time doing is riding a bicycle. Um, we have a picture of that. Um, I do a little racing here and there. I manage a team that's in the area, um, and I do spend a bit of time on a bike, and you will understand more about that uh, later on this morning. Um, and as, as a cyclist, I train a lot. And one of my most favorite training partners is a young guy named Wesley. Um, Wesley is my three-year-old. He just turned three in June. Um, and we have a couple pictures just so you can see how cute Wesley is. Um, and they'll just kind of flip through those. Um, Wesley is my best friend, my little buddy. He likes to cook also. Um, and we just have a lot of fun together, Wesley and I. So when I am not um, in church, I'm either found hanging out with Wesley or playing on a bicycle. Um, I want to share with you a bit this morning about my call story. I remember very vividly the first time that I felt God tugging at my heart and pulling me to a life of service in God's church. I was very blessed growing up that I had parents that made sure my sister and I were involved in our local church. 
And one evening, we were at a worship experience much like this. There was lights, there was uh, music, people were standing and praising God, and it was a beautiful opportunity. It was a beautiful experience. And at five years old, I remember being overwhelmed that evening. Now, in that moment as a five-year-old, I don't exactly know what it meant to be overwhelmed, but I know that I was overwhelmed in that moment. I remember very, very vividly tugging on my dad's shirt sleeve, and he bent down and he said, yes, son, what is it? And I said, Daddy, there's Little League basketball and Little League football, and Daddy, I'm no good at any of that stuff. Why can't there be Little League preaching? We laughed about that. I shared that story as I grew up, and and it brought a chuckle to most people who heard it. Um, And it was funny. It was cute. But about a decade ago, as I really began discerning my call to ministry, I realized that that was the first significant moment in my call story. As as a five-year-old boy, I heard God calling me to ministry. I'll save you and spare you the details, but I grew up, and it was just an understood fact, middle school, high school, that Daniel was going to be a preacher. For a short period in high school, I wanted to be an architect, and um, I, I had planned, you know, I never gave up on the ministry thing, I just, I planned to get an undergrad degree in architecture, and, and, um, and then go to seminary. So I'd set these dreams of going to Virginia Tech or NC State, and, and beginning my education as, as, as an architect. And that way, later on in life, I would have kind of two options. I could either be a preacher or I could be an architect. And, you know, I had, I had some, some options there. In high school, I attended a youth retreat with my church. And we went to St. Simons Island, Georgia. I don't know if any of you are familiar with St. Simons Island, Georgia, but trust me, it is deep south. It is hot. It is humid. The mosquitoes there sound like Huey helicopters. And in mid-July, friends, trust me, believe you me, it is hot and it is sticky. And we were there in mid-July and, and about 300 youth and their chaperones all packed into this worship space. And we were sweaty and sticky and boy, we were glistening for Jesus, I'm sure. And it was so miserably hot. And the speaker for that evening stepped out on the stage and he brought with him a cooler. And he stepped out and he said, Woo, it is hot in here. He opened up the cooler and he pulled out a glass bottle. Now you could hear the ice clinging on the bottle. You could see the water dripping from that bottle. You knew this was a cold Coca-Cola. And he said, I tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to auction off this bottle of Coca-Cola. He says, who will give me a dollar with lots of hands? I'll give you a dollar, I'll give you a dollar. Who'll give me $5? Again, hands, I'll give you $5. 10, 15. Finally, one kid raises his hand and he says, I will give you $20 for that Coca-Cola. The speaker brought the young boy on stage and he said, you're telling me you will give me $20 for this bottle of Coke. The little boy said, yeah, it's all the money I have in my wallet. He pulled out his wallet. He said, here, it's, it's all I have. And the speaker said, You mean to tell me you will give me every last dime you have for the entire remainder of this trip for this one cold Coca-Cola? The little boy said, yes, yes, yes. He says, okay. The speaker took the $20 and very quickly he popped the top and he chugged the Coke as quickly as he could. You can imagine the look on the little boy's face 
as he stood there thinking, what the heck just happened? I lost my $20, and I didn't even get to enjoy the Coke. The speaker that evening shared a message that continues to ring true in my life and in my faith journey today. The message that evening was relatively simple. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't be a follower of Jesus Christ making disciples and have an alter ego. You can't follow Jesus and have another life separate from that. It's all or nothing. I want to share with you this morning a text from Matthew's gospel. Now, this particular story, all three, Matthew, Luke, Mark, they all have their own accounts. But this morning, we're going to be using the accounts from Matthew's gospel. Hear now the words as Jesus calls the first disciples. As Jesus walked alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew. They were fishing, and they were throwing their nets into the water because they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away, they left their nets, and they followed Jesus. Continuing on, he saw another set of brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, repairing their nets. Jesus called out to them and said, follow me. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Now every time I hear this story, I have a vision in my head. It's it's a movie clip, and this is a clip from a movie that came out in 1994. I won't tell you how old I was in 1994, but it was more than seven and less than nine. The movie was Forrest Gump, probably one of the greatest movies of my generation. So remember, when I hear this text, this is what I see. My sea legs. Well, you ain't got no legs, Lieutenant Dane. Yes, I know that. You wrote me a letter, you idiot. Well, well, Captain Forrest Gump. I had to see this for myself. <laughs> and I told you if you were ever a shrimp boat captain, that I'd be your first mate. Well, here I am. I am a man of my word. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but don't you be thinking that I'm going to be calling you sir. No, sir. It's my boat. 
Now, we all know the story of Forrest Gump. Forrest goes off to war, and he meets his lieutenant, Lieutenant Dan, the person that he looks to for direction and order. And ultimately, he ends up saving Lieutenant Dan's life. And Lieutenant Dan is somewhat resentful of that. And as they're sitting in the hospital and and talking, Forrest shares with Lieutenant Dan this dream of being a shrimp boat captain. And in his skepticism, Lieutenant Dan says, if you're ever a shrimp boat captain, I'll come be your first mate. Well, what we see here in um, in this clip is that Forrest spent every dime he had on this rickety old shrimp boat And he's tooling down the waterway there, and he sees Lieutenant Dan on the dock. He doesn't call out, give me 15 minutes, let me park this thing, and I'll be right with you. He doesn't say, meet me over there, I'm going to dock. He hops overboard. This boat was his way of life. This was how he was going to make a living. And, and, And he threw caution to the wind, not even thinking about that, and went straight to Lieutenant Dan. That's what I see when I hear Jesus um, calling these disciples from the seashore and them leaving their boats and their nets and their father and, and what they knew. This was the family business, and they left it to follow this guy called Jesus. There was no turning back. It wasn't a half-hearted, well, maybe we'll see what happens. They followed Jesus with everything that they had, 110% commitment. This is a safe place, a sacred place, a place where we can be appropriately vulnerable with one another. And I want to share with you that part of my story two years ago was I found myself in a very dark place spiritually. For the first time in my life, I was questioning my call to ministry Was this really what God had designed for me to do? Is this really where God wanted me to be? I was tired. I was a bit burnt out. Through nothing short of a miraculous work of God the Almighty, a young couple came to Central and they wanted to be married in our facility. Now, let me remind you, I was tired. I was burnt out. The last thing I wanted to do was give up another Friday night and Saturday to do a wedding. I put off as long as I possibly could going and meeting with the young couple and getting to know them and talking about their service. But finally, I set the meeting up and I went and I visited with them. Almost immediately, there was a connection I learned that the groom-to-be was a cyclist. I'd recently purchased my first bicycle, and so we hit it off. He invited me to come out and ride with he and his friends the next weekend. And I did, and I'm happy to report today that those guys that I met that day are some of my closest, nearest, and dearest friends. We still race together, we ride together, and we do life together. But I got really into the cycling thing, all the while kind of battling these questions in my head. I went all out on the cycling. Um, I I upgraded my bike. This is a a wonderful piece of technology here. It's kind of the latest and greatest um, electronic shifting. It's all carbon fiber. It weighs about 14 and a half pounds. 
Um, if that doesn't mean anything to you, let me assure you that is very light and fast and awesome. I hired a coach to teach me how to, how to grow and how to get stronger and how to get better. I rearranged my entire diet so that I was eating properly. I spent 12 to 16 hours a week riding this bicycle. I was getting really good at what I was doing. And I remember riding out in rural Cabarrus County one afternoon. And I'm pedaling down the road and I'm thinking, you know, I'm really making some improvements with this biking thing. And I felt really frustrated that I wasn't feeling any better spiritually. I had a little moment with God, you know, one of those where you're deep in thought and conversation and, and maybe even a little angry. And it hit me like a brick wall. The reason that I was improving in this side of my life is because I was putting in 110%. The discipline was there, the time, the coaching, the dedication, the commitment. And I asked myself a very hard question. Was I giving my spiritual life 110%? Was I putting in the time? Was I looking for a coach to help me grow? To help me mature in my faith? I realized that day that I had become a cyclist. Cycling was who I was. It was what I was known for. Following Jesus had become my hobby. That day, my life fundamentally changed. Following Jesus is not a hobby. Following Jesus, being a disciple, making disciples is not a hobby. It is not something that we reserve for our free time. Now, I still ride this bike quite a bit. It's not just what I do for my physical exercise. It's what I do for my spiritual self. This is no longer my priority, but it's where I go to clear my head to spend some time with my God in God's creation. It's where I go that I can leave email and text messages and phone calls behind for a couple of hours here and there. I realized quickly that following Jesus and making disciples took all of what I had to give. A couple of hundred years ago, the brothers Wesley, John, and Charles, a couple of Anglican guys in the Church of England, they saw a problem with the church that they loved. They saw people who filled the pews on Sunday mornings. They heard the words proclaimed, but they lacked action in their lives. What John and Charles Wesley saw were people that heard Jesus calling from the shoreline, but were afraid to get out of the boat. They never intended to create a denomination. They wanted to create a movement. They wanted to excite people, to get people energized about 
serving the community around them, about caring for the poor, washing the feet of their neighbors, packing school supplies, giving away tennis shoes. They said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. The Wesley brothers understood that following Jesus was not a hobby. It was something that required complete, total commitment. They were not afraid to do things differently and to share this message. They knew that it looked different from what the Anglican church had ever experienced before. They were run out of city after city after city, town after town after town. But they remained faithful to following their Jesus. They got out of the boat that they knew was comfortable. And they followed the Jesus that was calling out to them with their whole hearts. Sounds a little bit like my friends here at West. You understand what it means to be the church. To meet people right where they are and love them in that place. You understand that it's okay for that to look a little different. And friends, I am so thankful that you exist as a congregation and that you are so passionate and so enthusiastic about following Jesus. You left the boat a long time ago. Following Jesus is not a hobby. We are all called to do something that is bigger than ourselves. At some point in time in our life, Jesus has stood out on the shoreline and called out to you. Hey, follow me. I will teach you how to fish for people. What does that even mean, fish for people? Jesus has called out to you. Your God has called you to something greater. Why are you the best lawyer in town? It's not because you're a good liar or you can argue with the best of them. It's because you are a sold-out follower of Jesus the Christ. It's because part of being a follower of Jesus Christ is being faithful to the call that God has placed on your life. God has given you gifts and graces to be a good lawyer, and you're faithful to that. Why are you the best mechanic around? It's not because you have some wizardry power to make things work again. It's because you are 110% committed to following Jesus Christ. And part of that is being faithful to the call that God has placed on your life. God has given you gifts and graces to understand mechanics and how things work together. And you're the best there is. Why are you one of the most dedicated volunteers in the church nursery? It's not because you're female or you're male or, or whatever. It's because you are a passionate follower of Jesus the Christ. And part of being a passionate follower of Jesus Christ is being faithful to the call that God has placed on your life. 
God has given you gifts and graces to create a safe and nurturing space for our littlest worshipers. We could continue to create scenario after scenario after scenario. We are all called to something great. We are one body, brothers and sisters together, making disciples, transforming the world. Together we follow Jesus, and each of us brings something special to the table. This morning I pray that we understand that following Jesus is not a hobby. It takes 110% of who we are. It is 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Following Jesus should be the answer to the question why we do everything that we do. Following Jesus is not a hobby. It has been a pleasure to be with you this morning. To be here in this place called West and to be a part of people who are passionate about their worship, who love our God and who follow Jesus the Christ, who head west and east and north and south, making disciples of all people. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. And thank you for tolerating a sermon from one of those guys, from one of those churches with the big steeple and the robes and the pulpits and, and the chancel choir and one of those loud things called an organ. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for the gift of this day, for bringing us here to this place that we may worship you freely. Thank you for the gift of your son who stood on a seashore and called out to us. Thank you for loving us unconditionally, even when we do not deserve your love and your grace. Oh God, it is good to be called your children, brothers and sisters in Christ. Hear now all of our prayers as we offer them up to you and we pray these things in the name of Jesus who calls out to us. Hear our hearts, oh God, and this morning hear from the bottom of our hearts that we love you. Amen. These guys are great. You guys are really blessed to have that, huh? As we go from this place, friends, know that we are all called. We go out into the world as a called people. I hear Jesus calling from the shoreline. Let's get out of that boat and follow Jesus, making disciples of all people. Go in peace. Amen.